is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host Brandon Joma, my host Nick. No Dan, uh, getting the morning off. I mean, look, these are really early for him, West Coast. This is like a 6 a.m. kickoff for yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, midweek. Yeah, he's he's working a lot. We're all working a lot. So yeah, we'll. Do a little rotation on the midweeks. That's okay. But yeah, but we have obviously another Matt Law special. So Matt, we're excited to have you back on. Um, we talked to you last time after we had, had walked Spurs in the semifinal. Kind of wish we were talking about that right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, feels a little bit more negative, doesn't it? Although Chelsea, a great cup team. Fantastic cup team, I think we can safely say. That is a uh, a big hook we're going to hang our hat on, uh, I think, for a while, Nick, until we until we figure this out. But, um, yeah, look, we're going to be talking with Matt. Look, we're going to be talking about that article and an assessment on the current status of Chelsea amidst a poor run of form. And then will Chelsea make any moves in the transfer market for the end of the window? Obviously, we're going to ask Matt about the transfer window anytime it's open. But, Nick, again, Matt wrote an article, uh, this piece, an assessment of the current run of form. A lot of people did not take kindly to it. Felt like uh, it was unfair. Uh, Matt had like a bias against the club or whatever. This was an interesting thing that uh, we ended up texting about and asking each other, like, was it? Like, where where do we stand on it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Matt, p- please kind of give us the the download as to why you wrote uh, right with the the piece. I mean, this is it's it's not. I don't know. I, I think people can overreact in situations where, you know, they see what they perceive as their guy under attack, right? Uh, for whatever reason. And that's not how I took your article, frankly, but I think how a lot of folks uh, did, especially after, you know, a roundly successful year one for for Thomas Tuchel. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the reason I wrote the piece is, is simple. You know, it's my job. You know, Chelsea had just lost a massive, massive game that had probably ruled them out the title race. I think I think that was the game where we might have said that they weren't realistically still in it anyway before then. But that was the game where I think we could draw a line under it. So it's an obvious time for my office to ring me up on a Saturday night and say, look, we're going to need a piece on Sunday about where Chelsea are right now. Because, you know, barring the Cups, the results haven't been good since the start of November, since that sort of Burnley game, which which kicks it all off, which, you know, sometimes when the office suggests these things to me, I do push back and I'll say, no, I don't think it's fair. I think it's too early or I think we need to wait a little bit. But I thought, fair enough, you know, they've lost to City. This season was about trying to win the title and they're not going to win the title. So that requires some analysis and that requires a bit of critical analysis as well to where where they are right now, really. And it surprised me because my first port of call was to kind of look into, I, I knew roughly what the run was, but I checked it. And at that point it was 18 points lost in 12 games. And I thought, okay, am I overreacting here? Is that, is that that bad? Let's see what it was before Frank Lampard got sacked. Quite surprised to find it was only sort of one point worse for Frank. That wasn't in the back. I didn't know that previously. I just checked it and was found that. So I thought, crikey, that's, that's a surprise. That's, perhaps put this this run into a different context. And then I thought, well, I can't believe that Chelsea would have been much further off the top of the league points-wise this time last season. Obviously, I knew they were down in ninth, but I thought I couldn't remember off the top of my head. So again, 
check last last season's table at the same time how many points are Chelsea off when when Frank Lampard got sacked and it was I think it was 11 points and and obviously before the Brighton draw Chelsea were 13 points off off the top after that Man City so again I thought this this really does present some context as to where Chelsea are because it it shows that not a lot has a lot has changed and a lot hasn't changed. A lot has changed in that Chelsea European champions, a coach has come in and done a phenomenal job. He's turned around the seasons and careers of certain players. He's just done a superb, superb job. That's all different. What's not different is that we arrive mid to late January with Chelsea in the league in really in exactly the same position as they were under Frank Lampard, despite all the brilliant work Thomas Tuchel has done, that in itself deserves examining. Now, what I would also add is I, I watched the game carefully, the Man City game, and I was very frustrated with Thomas Tuchel afterwards about, the uh, again, more chat about... COVID and the injuries. I do sympathise on COVID and the injuries. But he picked a front three that had never played together before for Chelsea's biggest league game of the season, the game that could potentially keep them in the title race. And he picked a front three that had never, ever started a game before. If that had worked, I admit I'd have probably called him a genius. But this is what football is about. It's about results. It didn't work. And therefore... It's not unfair to criticise him for it. It really isn't unfair to criticise him for it. Similarly, not picking Mason Mount beggared belief for me. Absolutely beggared belief. I accept people have different opinions on Mason Mount. I accept there's a strong argument that Mason Mount is not playing as well as he was this time last season, maybe, or or has been playing in, in recent months. But still... He's joint top of the assist with Reese James. Reese James is out injured. So he's of the players available, he's the guy who's most likely to create a goal. That statistically you can't argue against it. He's also the third top scorer, joint top scorer in the league, I believe. Jorginho wasn't on the pitch either. Again, I'm sorry, but he's the most he's probably the most likely player to nick you a goal. Particularly as we've seen him do at Anfield before and stuff. He, I would say that Mason is is quite a big game player as well. So that beggar belief. So I felt that that, in my opinion, and it's only my opinion, deserves some criticism. Just because Thomas Tuchel has had the most wonderful of years and done some incredible things, there is no way in a million years he would expect to be immune from criticism. And Thomas Tuchel, of all the managers I've actually ever interviewed at Chelsea, is the one who I hear him say the most. I made a mistake. I did this wrong. I did that wrong. If you think back to the Chelsea game at Stamford Bridge against Manchester City, um, when Chelsea were terrible in that game, Tuchel will still now refer to that game and will still refer to the day that it was his mistake. He got it totally wrong. He is comfortable with critical analysis. I interviewed him the very next morning after the piece had gone out. Um, and he was nice as pie to me. You know, the guy's got no problem with it. He, he This is what he expects. He's a top-level manager. Now, if it's unfair criticism, if you're not going to back it up with numbers, if you're not going to back it up with statistics, if you're going to take pot shots at the guy, then I think he'll have a problem. But critical analysis he's not going to have a problem with. And the piece 
was not designed to it was designed partly to highlight where I believe Tuchel's got a few things wrong lately but it was also to highlight the fact that as I said for everything good that's happened in the last year here we are again in the exact same position and we have again a player a manager who has a problem with a player we have Havertz and Werner this time last year we were talking about part of the reason Frank got sacked was he couldn't get the best out of Havertz and Werner we're still not seeing the best out of Havertz and Werner um there's, there's, there's issues there that, that deserve examining and need examining. It doesn't mean for one single second that anyone thinks Thomas Tuchel should be, job should be under pressure or should be sacked. I mean, anything, suggestion of that is absolutely ridiculous. That That's where I think people jump the gun, right? Um, you know, it is, it is, it will come to no surprise <laughs> that uh, our very own Dan Dormer, massive fan uh, of Thomas Tuchel. We are all massive fans of Thomas Tuchel. We think he's phenomenal. Uh, we have had discussions on the podcast recently, even as of yesterday, as to all of the things that have not gone right. I think a lot of people look at the job at Chelsea, Matt, as a flap of a butterfly's wings can set motions or events into motion, I should say. And we're I think we're all a little bit um on edge about these situations because we've seen it go so poorly so often right and that so I think that's the the hard line for someone like you to walk is that it's not your fault that the results are bad it's not the you know your fault that you know there are some clear deficits in the team it's not anyone's fault that COVID has been so difficult this year uh for so many teams or that Chelsea are seemingly the only team without the benefit of a postponement. Uh, but it is, I think, I think there's this sensitivity, you know, to put on my audience hat here uh, around the discussion of the manager because of all of the other stuff that's happened. But I mean, is, people, is that, people, get that? Pe- yeah, but people need to be mature about this. People need to, to realize that criticizing a manager or examining in a manager's decisions within a bad run alongside the club issues doesn't need to mean anything about his future. Mm-hmm. All I would say it means about his future is, and I did make this point in the piece is, and Chelsea have created this, nobody else is that we do know. And history tells us that if this doesn't get better quite quickly, he will be under pressure because it's Chelsea. And he said it himself. He was asked in his press conference the other day, someone asked him, it was quite a bizarre question in a way, but someone asked him in the broadcast section that I think would have been, aired out on the YouTube channel, so you might have seen it. Someone actually asked him about extending his contract. Um, and he himself said, I'll have done well if I see it out. You know, we know the rules here. Just to see a contract out, you've got to get results. He knows the rules of engagement. That's Chelsea. So it's just a fact to say, if a run that's now up to 20 points lost in 13 games and could see Chelsea as much as 15 points behind the top. If that gap widens and widens between now and the end of the season, however much I don't think it should happen or however much ridiculous or what everyone's opinion is, Thomas Tuchel will be under pressure then. So the four things, just to remind everyone, you talked about luck, you know, the situation, injuries, COVID, no postponements. I mean, losing Chilwell for the rest of the season, Reese James, yeah. and they're in such fine form, huge, huge blows. Uh, yeah. Results, obviously, ton of draws. I mean... 
And that's just kind of barely kept us above water, quite honestly. Uh, decisions, I think a lot of players have been or fans have been frustrated with some of the lineup decisions. I mean, you talk about a very new front three. He explained the why post-match. He wanted ZS actually to be the kind of pulling the strings and playing Lukaku and Pulisic in behind. Did not happen, though. Uh, and then obviously players sources of anger because of like Lukaku interviews and well look look I'll, I'll go on to that because I haven't explained that bit yet I'm glad you brought that up so there are unhappy players in the Chelsea squad I mean it's it's inevitable there are unhappy players in all squads and and pretty obvious by the way <laughs> like, exactly is, it's not and, saying anything crazy there exactly we we've got the club record signing who did what he did. It's out there in the public domain. It's clearly not being solved fully. It's it's very obvious to everybody. We've got Hakim Ziyech, who wouldn't even celebrate scoring a goal last night, who had a face like thunder for a lot of the game. You've got three guys with contract situations still hanging over their heads, one who's been criticised by the manager. Quite fairly, by the way. I'm not criticising Tuchel for that. But Christensen was publicly criticised by the manager. They're not going to be in great sort of... I'll maybe take Aspie out of this, but there'll be a level of annoyance among them. You know, Christensen's been criticised by the manager. Rudiger's not getting offered what he thinks he should be offered. Aspie may be a little bit different, although Aspie will be pretty annoyed about results and everything because Aspie's that kind of guy. You've got a lot of situations in that, 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 that dressing room, like all dressing rooms. Mount was left out of the, the Man City game. I didn't need to be a mind reader to know that Mount would have been furious to be left out that Man City game. And that's why we asked Thomas Tuchel the next day about his reaction and also whether it could be a problem for him. Tuchel dealt with it brilliantly and joked about this angry eyes thing that Frank's talked about before. And yet that blows up in Chelsea Twitter as well. And that somehow becomes a big issue that we're talking about Mason Mount's angry eyes. I actually thought Tuchel dealt with that brilliantly because he... He admitted on one hand that Mount had been unhappy and yet made light of it enough to show that it's not a huge, huge issue and also used it as a way of reiterating that he, in the long run, loves Mason Mount. I actually thought Tuchel dealt with it really, really sensibly. But there are unhappy players. It's everyone to see Christian Pulisic. You can tell he's not happy. He's not playing as much as he wants to be. He's not he's been playing in all different positions. They're all knackered. They're all angry. They're all frustrated. They're all on edge. There's different situations. And it's difficult. It's difficult at the moment. And the difference with Chelsea, with a lot of clubs, is that historically, these little things start and they go and they tumbleweed and they tumbleweed and they get bigger and they snowball and they snowball. And that's what Tuchel needs to be really careful about because something that can seem very normal at Chelsea, and I've covered them for long enough, snowballs incredibly quickly and that's what he has to be wary of because at the moment I think it would be over-egging it massively to say there's a dressing room problem at Chelsea but there are unhappy players and you've got to be careful not to let that snowball because it can do at Chelsea. Part of that is you know the board taking action or not taking action too you know he controls so much um, and I think that you know, it, it is quite obvious in certain situ situations where people at when Tuchel first arrived, we were all so impressed at how quickly he settled the squad and everyone was bought in. Uh, you know, he even brought Kepa back into the fold. Uh, he smoothed over a lot of cracks, uh, mm -hmm. even with Tammy a little. Nah, never mind, not Tammy. 
Uh, <laughs> but some of the other players, mostly the rest of the squad, were quite happy with the way things are going. And it hasn't this season. And I think that is a good thing to to point out. But about the board, you know, we've always it seems like the board have always kind of said, hey, manager, this is your job to figure out the players and the results. Like we don't meddle in that. And usually managers get upset because board doesn't get involved and then they end up getting sacked because they're like, you didn't back us. It looks like you backed the players. Is there any difference in this? The What we seem to be under the understanding is that they backed Tuchel and reprimanding Lukaku and, and wanted to kind of set that line that maybe it's a little different this time around. Look, um, what I know is different from a few managers is, I, and I know this, believe me, I know this for cast iron fact. This is not me speculating this. Tuchel loves being left alone. He doesn't want when things are going well. He has no interest in being constantly told you're doing well, not interested in it. Similarly, when things are, let's say, choppy, I think is probably a a fair description at the moment. He doesn't want someone coming and putting an arm around him or asking what support he needs. He just wants to sort it out. He's that guy. He loves being left alone to work, whether it's good or bad. Other managers have seen problems with that. Other managers have wanted support and have wanted board, let's say, interference when they've wanted it. Although, funnily enough, those managers would also usually complain when the board have got involved in other things and would say, I don't want interference now. But lots of managers get very isolated at Chelsea and don't like it. I know for a cast-iron fact that Tuchel likes being left alone. So, that's that's definitely a plus in where we are at the moment because the board won't, you're right, the board won't be coming to him and saying, oh, what do you need? And don't worry about it. And la, 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 la. And do you want to put a presser out? No, yeah, please don't. No, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you've got lots of time. You know, this is a long-term project. Because A, he knows that would be bullshit. And B, he just doesn't want it. He just doesn't want to work like that. So that's a good thing. That is definitely a good thing. The Lukaku one's really interesting because I was told that the way the Lukaku situation was dealt with actually had strengthened the bond with uh, Tuchel, Marina Granovskaya, Petr because they worked very closely on it. And I know that both sides were very impressed with how the other side dealt with it. Tuchel felt very supported in that they listened to his opinion and they followed his opinion. And the board felt, I know for a fact, that Tuchel was very sensible about it, that yes, the player needed punishment, but no, we didn't need to go over the top. That definitely strengthened, that was seen to strengthen the bond. What I think is now uncertain, I don't think the Lukaku situation's finished. So to say it's definitely helped or it's definitely done anything, it's too early. It were, the, 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 They were both happy with how they dealt with it, but... If a problem continues, it will become a problem for Thomas because Lukaku's a club record signing. Um, and even if there's a slight issue there, you, you need to get him to work to some degree. Um, so I think that one's to be filed under sort of to be continued a little bit. And the initial pleasure at how it was dealt with is probably just tempered by the fact that since Lukaku's then been put back in, you can still see there's an issue and you can still tell there's an issue between the two guys' personalities as well. It, it kind of feels like they're playing chicken right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 
Lukaku's getting playing time, hasn't done a whole lot with it. You know, Tuchel and, you know, I think the whole team aren't beneficiaries of that when he's off form, right? So, it, yeah, it kind of feels like uh, a, a bit of a game of chicken. I mean, I, I think the last question we have on this, and I know you have a new article coming out, so we'll, we'll get on to that in a second here. Do you Do you get a sense that the board understands that this chop and change philosophy that's been in place for so long at Chelsea is, is just is part of the reason that, you know, these things happen so often is because of, of that philosophy, albeit it comes with a ton of perks, right? I mean, a ton of, a ton of trophies, a ton of wins, a ton of glory, but it is just kind of undermining the, the stability of, of situations that should be stable. I mean, Tuchel should be you've a stable situation. You've just promoted my next piece. Um, All right. Woo. So you've, you've read my mind there, and it's what Let's I was coming it. on to. Right. My argument in my next piece is that Chelsea have, Chelsea's culture has created the Ultimate Cup team. It's, it's, so as you say, there are a ton of perks. There are a ton of pluses from the way Chelsea operate. And you can't, you can't just criticise Chelsea for the way they operate because they win trophy after trophy. And I think since Roman came in, I think they're still the most successful uh, English team. Obviously, Man City at some point might surpass that, but so you can't you can't just blanket criticise them. You can't say it's wrong what they do because what they do isn't wrong. It wins lots of trophies. It brings success. It's given you fans some of the the greatest nights that you'll ever remember supporting a football club and stuff that I can only wish for as an Aston Villa fan. You know so. But I also think it has created a cup team now. And I will tell you why. And Pep Guardiola is a big part of this, actually. Because I think that before Pep came in, with the whole system and structure built around him at Manchester City, Chelsea could still win Premier League titles the way they were operating. Now I would argue, with Pep in place and the structure in place he has at Manchester City, that Chelsea have two choices to overhaul Manchester City in the Premier League. They either have to change their culture or they have to wait for Pep Guardiola to go because I don't see them overhauling City while he's there in their current structure. And I'll tell you why. In So I went onto the Chelsea website today and I went through the entire first team squad that's listed on the Chelsea website. Of those players, six managers have had those players signed for them. So going back to Aspilicueta being signed when Di Matteo was manager, there have been six managers in charge when different players have been signed that make up that squad. So there's kind of six managers' players. And they're managers with, like, completely different philosophies. You've got Di Matteo, you've got Sari, you've got Tuchel, you've got Conte, you've got Jose, you've got Frank Lampard, have all been responsible or part responsible for signing this squad. Completely different formations, completely different rule books, completely different visions, everything. Now we turn to the Manchester City squad that's listed on their website. There's two players on the whole squad who weren't signed by Pep Guardiola. One is Fernandinho and the other one is Raheem Sterling. He has signed every other single player. That includes all the substitute goalkeepers and everything. They have one vision... They have one philosophy and they have one rule book. And I think that's really important. Liverpool, two. Henderson and Rigi. Rest signed by Klopp. 
again, one vision, one formation, one rule book. It's a culture. And if you're at Manchester City, you know that you either play the way Pep wants you to play and you deliver for Pep, or you're gone. Yaya Torre, at the time that Pep came in, was probably one of the most successful City players in the club's history. He went to war Fantastic with midfielder. Oh, exactly. He was great. And he transformed that club. He he genuinely transformed that club. I mean, what he did for that club was incredible. He he elevated that club. And if you remember Yaya Torre, every time it's a semi-final or a final, Yaya Torre would turn up and he would score the important goal. He went to war with Pep Guardiola. And within two summers of Pep being there, he was sold. Because he would not fit into what Pep wanted to do. You have to do that. That is the whole philosophy. Now, you can't do that with a squad that's been signed by, with, by six different managers who see the managers come and go every time. You just can't do it. You know, we saw last time Alonso Rudiger sat tight, waited for Frank to go, waited for a coach who would be more willing to give them a chance, and away they went. And fine, that happens at other clubs. Happens at other clubs. If you're Lukaku now... What are you going to do? Are you going to adapt your game that's been so successful at Inter Milan, at Belgium, under two very different coaches, I'd add, Martinez and Conte? Or are you going to wait for Tuchel to go? Because the more likely thing and the easier thing to do is that Chelsea will make a managerial change looking back at history. They need, if they're going to overhaul Guardiola and what he's got at City, on a long term, you can beat them in a cup, you can beat them in a Champions League, you can beat them in a one-off game because Chelsea have still sign quality top class players but if you're going to beat them over the season if you're going to get over the hurdles that a season brings up if you're going to become more consistent than them if you're going to create a better mentality than them and i think that's key a better mentality than this city team that just have an incredible mentality you're going to have to change the culture and it's going to take some tough decisions do you in the summer back the manager do you say you know what tough decision but maybe it is time to say goodbye to Aspilicueta. He's been incredible, but we need to move on. Are we going to move on from Jorginho, maybe? He's just had the best year he's probably ever going to have. Is he going to get better? Are we going to win Premier League titles with this guy, or are we going to win FA Cups and the odd Champions League with this guy to bring a different midfielder in? Are we going to finally replace Marcus Alonso, or are we going to keep saying, no, we're happy with Marcus Alonso. We've won Cups with Marcus Alonso in the past. Pep Guardiola over two years with Manchester City, got rid of players like Gael Clichy, won two titles with Manchester City. Fernando Kolarov won titles with Manchester City. Nasri won titles with Manchester City. Yaya Torre, like I said, club legend. Joe Hart won titles with Manchester City. Mm. Fabian Delph even won titles with Manchester City. <laughs> These were people who had won with Manchester City, but he got rid of them because he wanted to create something different. Chelsea stick by these players who win trophies and been excellent for them. But if they're going to draw a line in the sand at some point, it might require a coach to say, we need to regenerate here. We need to regenerate. And as I say, I don't think Chelsea can overtake what City are doing with Pep, with his structure that he has in place while they're doing what they're doing, while they've been doing what they're doing with their, what I would call cancel culture. Their only strategy is to wait for Pep to go because things will then change at City. It will have to change. You know, this is a bit of a one-off occurrence. It's like Ferguson was at United. 
And and Klopp's got it to an extent. That the, the only worry for Chelsea would be is if Guardiola leaves City and, and Klopp doesn't leave Liverpool. Klopp's got it at Liverpool, and that puts him ahead in terms of a league season, I would say, than Chelsea again, albeit the squad is weaker. Can, can I ask this? Do you think, you know, and again, this is just guessing, right, and just having an opinion. Do you think that, let's pretend that Chelsea decide to go with what you have prescribed here, or they're already in progress on it, we just don't know. Do you think that Tuchel is the guy to instill that kind of philosophy, belief system, and style uh, to, to move us into that kind of dominance position that the Pep's been in? I think if you, if you let Tuchel do what Guardiola's been allowed to do at Manchester City, I genuinely believe that he would build something very special and very lasting. I can't for one minute sit here and say he could do what Guardiola's done because Guardiola, look, I sympathised with Guardiola at the weekend. He said, everyone always makes excuses about City. Everyone tells us we're lucky with COVID. We've got more money. We've got this. We've got that. You can talk about all that. But what Guardiola's done with City is actually phenomenal. He, he's going to win the league by like 20 points this season with no striker. What he's done with City is phenomenal. So I can't sit here and say that Tuchel would be able to do that. But Tuchel could build something lasting and build a culture. And that's the big thing. Build a culture. And I, yes, I do. Because I think... I think Tuchel has very strong philosophies. I think Tuchel has a very strong way, a rule book, like you say, which isn't always madly strict, but I think he has a, a way he would want players to act. I think he'd have a very, very strong, like I say, philosophy to run throughout a club if he could, if he was allowed to structure something like that and, and given the freedom to do that. And that would require allowing him not just signing players, but making some very tough, like selling players probably at the moment that fans wouldn't necessarily think should be sold. But you're, you're kind of accepting that these guys probably aren't actually going to get any better. So I'm, we need to do something different now. Um, do I think that will happen? In all honesty, no. Well, look, there's always <laughs> someone, on, kill. There's always, kill. There's always someone on. on Twitter, Matt, who wants every single player sold. So, you know, there's always someone. But uh, <laughs> we're going to take our ad break. Uh, we get back. We're going to hit all the January transfer updates that we have. So thanks to sponsors for financially supporting the show and be right back. All right. So heavy shifting of gears. That was a lot uh, that we covered. But I think that that was uh, really, really good. But it's still January. It's still a transfer window. Maybe one of the quietest windows up until Aston Villa shook the the pot a little bit. I mean, I'm, I feel like we're not even giving the same headlines. It used to be every single day, article, 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 transfer connected, links to this. Tuchel, who are you signing? It, is that is that the vibe you're getting that I've almost like forgotten that it's a transfer window? No one's doing much. I To be honest, I always thought it would be this way. With, with COVID, look, with COVID, apart from anything else, Teams have got to be careful about letting players go because look, we're seeing with the postponements and everything and Arsenal, ho-ho, keep letting players go and keep getting uh, fixtures postponed, which is a joke. But, um, it is a joke. Um, a lot of clubs won't let players go right up until the last week. And remember, we've got this kind of weird break after this game, um, which also comes at the end of the window. So clubs almost want to get through this weekend before really trading out players because before, trading out players before this weekend is a huge risk 
you know, clubs need big squads at the moment. So I always thought that there would be a little bit of flurry of activity around the first week or so of the window, because there always is, and there'll be a few clubs trying to sort of get ahead of the others, and obviously Villa's been one of those. But I thought generally what we would have is an extremely quiet transfer window up until this last week when there's a little bit of a break. I, I think they're calling it an international break because there's some South American fixtures, I believe, and some Asian fixtures. Um, and then once this break comes and we're into the final week when clubs can really assess their squads and what they can carry through for the rest of the season in terms of COVID and postponements, then we'll see some, some trading. Although what I would say is that's not necessarily what's held Chelsea up. Um, I think it would be a bit of a red herring to say that's probably what's held Chelsea up. I mean, Chelsea are... This is where Chelsea are undeniably very unlucky. They're a victim of circumstance in that, you know, the two wing-backs have got injuries, one out for the season and one one's still been quite long-term. And it, it it's not easy to it's not easy to replace. And I think we've we've spoken before that I think it's sensible that they're not replacing with anyone, that that not anything is better than nothing. And I know it might seem that way at the moment because results have have gone awry. Um, but I still don't think anything is 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 better than nothing. I think it's only worth doing if you're getting back the right people. Since we spoke last week, and this took me by surprise, it's uh it's turned out that Kennedy is probably the insurance policy. He is he has turned up on the club's website in the first team squad, if you have a look. He doesn't right. have a number yet. All right, Matt. Is it, are we going to get another last-minute text to get and be like, "Quick, edit"? Chelsea are all over the map with this stuff, yeah. but Kennedy's—they—they. I mean, they, I've seen him in training. By the time this has gone out, Kennedy's probably joined <laughs> some of the club, and we're we're back to where we. <laughs> but um, Kennedy seems to have come back as this insurance policy. If they can't get anything in, um, I think the plan is still very much to try and get something in and send Kennedy back out. That's always been what I've been told is the is the real plan. Um, it still seems to be that they, I, I still get the feeling they haven't given up on Emerson. I think I said it on the show last week that I do know that the, the player's not a problem. Emerson would like to come back. And I, I think that's since been reported in France. And it's definitely the case. But the, the problem are, are his club um, and, and the fact that Chelsea didn't have this recall in. I still think they're trying to do that as a number one. I definitely think there's some interest around Serginio Dest still, who obviously could fulfil a couple of roles in the squad, and I'm I'm told Barcelona would loan him out. The, the PSG left-back I checked when that came out last week, I didn't bother writing anything about it because it wasn't worth it, because I was just told there's no interest there. Tuchel knows him, doesn't really fancy him. I think they were probably offered him, as a few clubs were. Perisic was linked, I was told. Again, didn't bother writing on it, I was told. Nothing mm. happened there. Perisic, if he goes, can wait till the summer and try and get very big wages. In the meantime, Inter Milan want to get him on a big contract. I'm sure Chelsea are looking at things I don't know about at the moment. But yeah, um, we still we still don't know. But they they have this break. They look. They it feels like you know they they obviously were thinking like a lot of people that they they thought they could probably get through to this little break and play and do it. In actual fact. With the results, some people might argue they they should have tried to rush something quicker to to get something in. What's the percentage on on deaths, Do you think that's a good question? I think if he leaves Barcelona, he will join Chelsea. 
I, I know Bayern Munich have been linked and I know other clubs are linked. I, I think if Chelsea decide they really want him, that Chelsea are in the driving seat with Dest. I don't think it's yet decided whether they actually definitely, definitely want to push the button on it. But I know there's talks. It would depend a lot on the structure of the deal. And again, whether or not they can get Emerson back or whatnot. But if Chelsea were to, to say, yeah, actually, we want to do Dest... Uh, that they are in the driving seat because I think that he, he and Barcelona and the agent would would most like to to do that deal if they could. Uh, he's listed on the website as a te- as a forward as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I looked at that today because I was looking at it for my piece on which manager signed which players. He was a Jose Mourinho. Yep. Huh. He was. Um. Uh. Okay. Look. Yeah. I think. You know, Reese James will be coming back soon enough-ish, we think, hope. Obviously, Chilwell being out-out, you know. Uh, the left side, I think, is definitely more. You know, Alonso's never been pacey, let alone super fit. I take that back. He's been fit, but just with the amount of matches. You know, we're going to go from Spurs uh, into FA Cup, into Club World Cup, into Champions League. Like, <laughs> we get a little respite in February, but not really until April. So... Um, it's also, Tuchel made a really good point the other day, that the wing-back situation has had a massive effect on the rest of the team as well. I mean, if you look at Mason Mount, the way he would interchange with Reese James and Ben Chilwell, um, he's definitely suffered massively from those guys being out. Uh, Tuchel talked about, about the way that Reese James and, and Golo Kante pass to each other and interchange with each other. The team's lost that completely. So it's not just lost the players themselves, it's lost what it does with the team and everything else. I mean... Those two, just a massive, massive loss and a huge stroke of bad luck. Well, and also he's had to be like, hey, so I know you left Atletico Madrid because of this, but I need you to play left wing back. Like that, <laughs> like he's now, you know, essentially taking hits on these players. Callum, Christian Pulisic, uh, Ziyech, they've all had to play in positions they do not want to because it was what the team needed. So then I feel like he has to make these trades and be like, okay, Christian, you can play an attack today. Callum, you have wing back. Okay, next game, Christian, you're back. Callum, you can go. And it's not like the way that you would want to manage the whole no, situation. It makes managing the squad much more difficult. You're dead right. Because as you say, you're having to make players unhappy, you know, and he will know that he's having to make players unhappy. So as you say, I don't, I don't know... Sp- it's a good speculation that maybe there's a trade-off there. I don't know whether he does those trade-offs, but it's it it would be very fair to assume that he's having to make players unhappy by playing them in certain positions and then them not performing in those positions because that's what will piss the players off, is that not that they necessarily have to play in the position, but they play in the position, don't play very well, they go on social media and they're getting hammered for it. That's yeah. what will annoy the player. They'll be like, I'm getting absolutely battered by the fans here. And yet I've just been asked to play in a position that I wouldn't even want to play for a Sunday league team for, let alone Chelsea. That's that's what will annoy the players, not the actual playing in the position itself. It, it's the thankless job, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Christian Pulisic's never been a right back. He's never been a right exactly. wing back. He's, you know, I mean, and he's being asked to do a lot of that stuff right now. And there are a bunch of other players who are making those sacrifices too. Uh it's not sustainable though, right? I mean, like you're not going to win cups 
with Christian Pulisic at right wing back and patchwork on the left side. Like well, you might win see. a you might win a cup in fairness because this is part of my point is if you've got an if you've got an incredible coach which they've got and if you've got very talented players even if they're having to play out of position you can patch things up you know we've seen it you know these these guys can be geniuses and they can patch things up for a game or two here or there and get results so you you might actually be able to win a cup doing it a but couple you can't get a couple but you, <laughs> <laughs> but you can't get anywhere in the league doing it you, it's, it's not as you say it's not sustainable which means in the league it becomes impossible one further point I wanted to make, actually, it's a slightly different point to what we're making, but I don't want to forget the point, is that, you know, the attackers are getting a lot of lot of criticism at the moment. And when we're talking about players being played in different positions and finding it tough and getting annoyed, I think last night, and I haven't treble-checked this, so if there's a statistician out there who finds I'm a bit wrong, I apologise. I think last night the attack Tuchel played was the 20th different combination of attack he's played this season since Lukaku came. I mean, that's 20. That's that's partly due to injuries. It's partly due to COVID. It's partly due to circumstance. I mean, kind of no no wonder that the attack looks kind of rusty and not clicking. 20 different combinations in the first, what are we, 23 games of the season. I mean, obviously, you add on the cup games, it's it's a lot more cup games, but th- there's no... There's no rhythm there, is there? There's nothing. There's no understanding. There's no rhythm. It's just not. It's not just Romelu. And I, I if you yeah. said to me what's Thomas's first choice front three at the moment, I wouldn't have a clue. I think uh, our good friend uh, Nazar Kinsler made that point on on our Sunday show, which is like, I think you got to pick three and stick with them for a minute and just let them gel. And, and but he was arguing you know, he's think, not being able to because of injuries and COVIDs yeah. as well. I would say that in, in most cases, I think some of those have been self-inflicted. I wouldn't disagree. Un- I wouldn't disagree. Un- unfortunately, but um, but yeah, I mean, like in a perfect circumstance, like we're we're a little more than halfway done with the season, right? Like, just utilize the time that you have coming up, you know, FA Cup, Club World Cup, and just put a front three together that can learn how the others play. And yeah, you know, for the other four, it's going to be really hard, but. I mean, the fact is, outside of Mason Mount, no one has performed to a level this year. The, 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 so the, the one I wonder, the one I do wonder whether I'd like to see a little bit more of, and, and you two will have a better view on this as, as Chelsea fans, is I'd like to see a bit more of Lukaku and Havertz. As It could be within a three, but maybe playing as like a two, because I remember that Arsenal game when Lukaku was phenomenal and he bullied them, and the two of them looked like they had quite a good little... I don't think Havertz has been particularly good this season, but I did think there was... I, I thought early in the season there were seedlings of a good little partnership between Havertz and Lukaku in a three-five-two type thing, um, and I'd like to see a bit more of Havertz and Lukaku together just to see if that can maybe work. So I think I get the impression, and this is from a little bit of information and a little bit of guesswork, that if you said to Romelu Lukaku, who would you play with? He would say Kai Havertz. I think he fancies trying to develop a partnership with Kai Havertz. So. When you talk about let's let's see Tuchel try something for a while, I'd love to him to to put those two together and just give it a few matches. Like you say, maybe in the Cups and or away when I go to Abu Dhabi with them in the Club World Cup. You're going to get a little sun, are you? That's fine. <laughs> yeah, my wife's delighted, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, all right. Well, classic here. Anything on Christensen and Rudiger before we wrap? 
<laughs> I mean, it sounds like honest in all honesty, in all seriousness, it sounds like Rudiger's options are starting to dwindle a little bit and that, you know, you can never trust what you hear online and everything that's coming out. But it sounds like maybe Real Madrid and Bayern are slowing their role. PSG seem to be the last maybe big one that are really ready. Juve are definitely out. It sounds like maybe Chelsea were becoming a little bit more attractive week by week for him. We we spoke about it last week, didn't we? We spoke about that last week, and I I think it's still the same as last week. And the offers clearly haven't quite arrived yet, and that's given Chelsea some encouragement. I also think that there's a willingness from the Rüdiger side to to hear what Chelsea have got to say and whether they're to offer him. I don't want to keep repeating myself, though, so a lot of it goes back to last week. The, the new thing probably I've managed to check out since we last spoke is that the the interest from Christensen from Barcelona in particular is seems to be quite accurate. Um, it feels like his people are, are talking to others. Um, but again, it's quite quiet around him at the moment. But yeah, the, the, okay. there's clearly a little bit. Of, he's clearly got... Christensen clearly has a few options, which I was unsure of probably last week but i've managed to check out a little bit and there's options then aspie's situation still just hasn't changed I, like i say i i'm starting to wonder whether the time has come to to bid a very 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 fun farewell to aspie um, if, if they're gonna do on. it my god can we please have it planned and organized we've seen too many big players leave without being able to like have a reception at the last home match it's a good point, yeah. Matt. It's a good because they tend to leave these things so late in terms of the decision. It makes it makes that sort of farewell impossible, and they end up having to either come back with another club or come back in some slightly odd capacity to to get that farewell. It'll um, it, it it if it happens, and again, he is one of my absolute favorite players ever at Chelsea. It will not be a overstatement to say that he will leave as a club legend. Oh, I mean, he is. I mean, he is absolutely going to be up there. Yeah, um, he has to be. Up so there. he has to be in. He has to be in that. He he's the sort of what I would say about Aspie. He's the he's the one player who wasn't really part of that Czech Lampard, Terry, Ashley Cole group of legends. Who I would actually, uh, John Terry, of course. I, I don't know whether I mentioned. I should have mentioned him first. That group of legends who didn't actually, he did play with them a bit, but he wasn't like in that group when they were at their best. You know, obviously he came after the Champions League win. But I would I would class him in that term of club club legends. He would get into that group for me. I, I think so too. I mean, I think there are, that, that luckily that group is getting bigger and bigger uh, the more that we play, the more that we win. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that he is just a selfless team guy. And it is manifested in you know itself into a wonderful captaincy, and you know go win this club world cup thing, and you've won everything. Yeah, uh, literally everything. Win, which is you know really incredible. So, um, yeah, I, why, why not? Why not go go out on a high if it's time? I mean, I, I love the guy though. He is a wonderful, wonderful player. And if it is his choice that he wants to see pastors new, then. Fair enough. Well said. All right. Well, let's go ahead and end on that one. Uh, Nick's getting a little teary-eyed, and I don't want him to have that on video. <laughs> so, But no, Matt, thank you so much. I think we went deep uh, on, on a lot of stuff today, and it was it was really great to have you share that in your perspective. So thanks again. No worries, guys. Best of luck. 
All right. Well, uh, <laughs> more content coming at you. Obviously, we'll be back after the Spurs match with match review. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.